when God's righteous judgments will be revealed. So when the flood came, we remember that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But do you remember what else happened to flood the earth? Does anyone know? A second thing happened. In fact, it's the first thing that happened. In the 600th year, this is going back to Genesis 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. That God had stored up under the earth floodwaters. And they burst out and flooded the earth, along with the rain coming down. Our sins store up, if we are outside of Christ, continuously, every day, a great storehouse of the wrath of God. It adds every day when we are outside of Christ. Every day, that storehouse grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Until the final day of God's judgment, when His wrath is finally revealed in all its stupendous glory. We think that the flood was something amazing. The fact that God covered the earth in 40 days and all flesh died. And it's just a microscopic taste of what will happen when the Lord pours out His vengeance. Because what happens? The earth, the sun... The moon, everything is no more. Imagine the power that would consume the universe in a word. That is the wrath of God. That is the wrath of God. The flood, though it changed forever the landscape of the face of the earth, did not destroy the earth. It's still here. We are still here. The dirt that we walk on is the same dirt that they were walking on. The water that brought the floods is still being poured out day by day all over the face of the planet. The molecules that make up our bodies were on the earth thousands of years ago. He's going to make it all go away That's wrath we can't fathom. That's wrath we just don't think about. That's wrath we don't like to think about. And yet that wrath is what keeps us. That wrath is what keeps us from sinning. The the continual abatement of God's wrath is a kindness to us. But he always reminds us that the wrath is there. So, this is the way you are with children. You don't spank every single time something happens in your house. But you always have the threat. Right? They know that the full wrath is is over here. But you're forbearing. You are patient. You're not just coming down. And God is the same. 
He's saying, don't forget about this. Don't forget about this. This is real, and it will come, and it will be the total destruction of the whole world which I made. I will roll it up like a garment and toss it away. That's the prophets quoted in the book of Hebrews. He's waiting for the day when the world will be rolled up like a garment, tossed away. This is the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is like this because our sin is the same, right? When I read from Romans and it said, do you think you will escape you who judge others and yet do the same things? It's talking about the same sort of thing. We think that Noah's day was just so despicable that God had to deal with it. Or the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and he just had to kill them with fire and brimstone. Or Ananias and Sapphira were totally, utterly debauched when they lied to the apostles and the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead. And that we're somehow not the same. We are the same. Our sins are just as deserving of the wrath of God at the flood and at Sodom and at Ananias and Sapphira. The only difference is God's kindness in his son, Jesus Christ. That is it. And so not only is the flood a foretaste of the wrath of God, but the ark and the saving of the eight is a taste, a sliver, a tiny dot compared to the immensity of the salvation of God towards the millions and uncountable millions that are his own. The wrath of God is an unspeakable horror. The grace of God is an unspeakable glory. How unbelievable, considering all that, that he would save one, let alone untold millions. Untold millions from the beginning to us. Just person after person after person after person. Mine, not destroyed. Wrath, not poured out on them. Disaster averted. We can't have a sufficient view of the mercy of God without a sufficient view of the unbelievable destruction that awaits those who don't know the mercy of God. Because we'll think it's just a puddle. We'll think the wrath of God just is, it destroyed them in the flood and and it just kind of rises up to our ankles, maybe. Like we don't deserve that flood. There's one flood in my lifetime. I think it's one of the biggest floods of the entire 20th century, but I could be wrong. 1993, I believe. Uh, Huge flood. The Mississippi flooded. We flooded. Massive. My wife is from right next to the Mississippi River, Bethalto, Illinois. Just right down the road. It's the river. And they have marks on their buildings down by the river. And so they have like, you know, this year's flood was here, and this year's flood was here, and this year's flood was here. And then 1993 is like way up, like 30 feet higher than everybody else's mark. That didn't even cover the buildings. Didn't even cover the buildings. The flood in Noah's day covered the mountains. Covered the mountains. Stripped the forests bare. I read from uh, Psalm 29. 
I want you to listen to it again in light of these things. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, and the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips forests bare. And his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Over and over throughout scripture... The way to get to the majesty of the glory of God who gives peace to his people is by remembering that the God of all glory can consume us rightfully in an instant, but doesn't. That's how we get there. We have no appreciation for the God of grace if we don't realize that every single one of us would have been swept away in the flood. And that every single one of us deserves the full weight of the wrath of God at the end of time, stored up for us, poured out on us. And now we know what actually happened at the cross. There's only one day worse than the day the flood destroyed the world. And yes, it took 40 days, but one day, the time of the flood, killed every living thing on the earth. There's only one day that's worse. And it's not when the earth fell. It's the day the Son of God died. There are two generations of people who have seen the horror of the wrath of God in its full, absolute sense. The flood and the cross. If we do not have faith in the God of the cross, we have no hope. No hope. We will not escape. We will not escape. And when that event happened, the earth broke. Earthquakes, darkness, resurrection from the dead. The curtain of the temple torn in two. And one of the men who is guarding the body at the cross said, Surely this was the Son of God. Everyone there knew something immense had happened. Everyone got it. They might not have understood it, but they got something immense. Just like those men who were swept away in the flood waters that day, 
might not have had a full grasp of what just happened to them, but they knew as they drowned, someone bigger than us just consumed the world. And someone bigger than us died. The sinfulness of man is far greater than we could possibly imagine. And that includes us. When we are in Christ and made new creations and given new hearts, it doesn't mean that we never sin again. There is this already that we are justified before the face of God in Jesus Christ and this not yet. It's not yet fully realized. We have new hearts and we are new creations and yet our old self, our sinful self, is at war within us. And one of the battle plans that God has given to Christians to fight their sin is to remember his wrath. To remember the flood. To remember the fact that God's wrath is enormous. And we are forever a hair's breadth from it without Christ. This is... uh, Not in reference to the flood, but in reference to the giving of the law to Moses. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's important to remember when you read the New Testament and you read the warnings given to the churches in the New Testament. So whether that's the warnings to the seven churches in Revelation or the warnings given to the individual churches like Corinth or Thessalonica or here, the writer of Hebrews gives multiple warnings to the church That these are warnings not given to the world. That the New Testament apostles were not apostles to the world. They were apostles to the church. And they were writing to the church. And so when they say, don't neglect a great salvation because you will get the just reward of it. And that just reward is horrifying to think about. They were not talking to the guy out on the street when they said that. They were talking to the church. Because we, the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God, are always tempted to go intermarry with the daughters of men. To go out and find sin elsewhere. And so one of the good ways that God has given to us is to remember his wrath. To look at the flood as a great, grave warning. This is what awaits you if you wander out. Stay pure. Stay godly. And when you can sin, confess your sins. One of the things that is so freeing about the gospel is this. This is 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. 
that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, how many of us have walked in darkness while we proclaim to have fellowship with him? All of us. We've all done things while saying we're Christians. That's what this means. You say you're a Christian? You say you have fellowship with God? Then why did you do that? You're lying. That's a problem. That's a problem. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's a problem. We have all walked in darkness while proclaiming we're in fellowship with God, and we have not always walked in light. We don't have hope, except this. The next couple of verses are the grace of God to Christians. If we say we have no sin, so if we, if we instead of saying, no, I always walk in the light, I'm always, I'm always in the light. My fellowship is always pure. I don't ever step off the path. I don't have anything to confess. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That the point of the Christian faith is not for you to get to the end of the week and think, well, I did that pretty easily. <laughs> I don't know what's so hard about not going into the daughters of men. I didn't do it this week. I didn't do it last week. I don't have anything to really feel other than just good about myself. You're deceiving yourself. There is no truth in you. None. Zero zilch. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his truth is not in us. I don't think we realize how often we make the Christian message one of Christians are those people who don't really struggle with sin. That is partially true. Christians are not people who should struggle with infamous sins. But Christians are people who do struggle with sin and who every day walk in darkness while they claim to have fellowship with God who is light. The reason that I preach the way I do and the reason that historically... Pastors have preached the way I do, which is to say, I talk about sin all the time. I don't think anyone here would disagree that I talk about sin all the time. The reason, the reason I do this is not arbitrary. And it's not because I'm particularly into talking about sin, because listen, my sermons are hard for me to write and preach because I am the man. I am the man. When was that sermon I preached? January. January 16th, I preached a sermon. Predestination is the ground of evangelism. 
I believe it is true. I absolutely believe it. If you put me in a test room and said, write out why we evangelize, I would say predestination, election, sovereignty of God. A hundred thousand times I would write that, believe that. I would take a lie detector test for that. Three days later, no one showed up, the Vincent's <laughs> Jasper campus. And I was like, well, I'm a complete failure and God has not heard my prayer. And now, on the eve of a nine-month work to put Christianity Explored into practice, when we have zero commitment from zero people that will be here tonight outside our church. If you talked to me in the last few weeks, you would know I did not believe my own sermon. Even though I believe my sermon. And it is wrong for me not to believe my sermon. Not because I am like the best preacher in the world. But because that sermon I think is true. And so you know what I did for the first time in weeks this week? Is I prayed that God would find glory somehow in what we have done. And you know what I did for the best time in several weeks? Is I slept. Slept like a Calvinist. Just did my work, going to bed. Get up in the morning, keep going. I have not felt this good about what looks on the surface like a complete failure of nine months of work. And it's all because Greg, two weeks ago at the prayer meeting, said, dude, don't you remember your sermon? And then he looked up to date and he's like, this is when you preached it, just so you know. This is why you should stop acting like this. He didn't say those words. But that's basically what he meant, isn't it? Stop, stop acting like this, Joe. You're ridiculous. <laughs> he definitely thought it. I preach this way about sin because we, all of us, all of us think we would not be like the people in the days of Noah. And we all think we're not like the people now. We all think that. We, you know, I, this is, so the fact that Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner is now a analyst for Fox News is the most absurd craziness that I have heard in recent weeks. And I've heard some crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, balanced maybe, but definitely not fair, because that's not fair. (laughs) It's not good. Uh, The reality, though, the reality, is if I worked at Fox News, because I think he went on Sean Hannity first, I think is who he was on. If I was Sean Hannity... I would say, hey, Caitlin, nice to see you, and I would pick my paycheck up at the end of the week. I would nod my head and go along and pretend like nothing was wrong because we're all that way. We all do that every day in our jobs and in our lives. We all go along to get along to be along, and we give up on this idea of walking in the light. We just give up on it. And I'm here to remind us, don't give up on it. And confess your sins. They're real. And there is a real Savior. And that wrath that is being stored up for the end of days, for all people outside of Christ, that is immensely bigger than the flood. If you're in Christ, He he took it all 
He took it all on the cross. Walk in the light. Confess your sins. Do it every week. I preach this way because we forget, we forget, we forget that this week, yesterday, this morning, walking in darkness, doing the deeds of evil, not doing the deeds of righteousness. You read the New Testament letters, which we did this morning. I quoted from Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just remind you of what it says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper in the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to the mechanic at the car shop who doesn't know Jesus to keep his mouth clean. He's writing to the people in the pews and saying, Listen, church, don't let yourself be corrupted. Keep your mouth pure. Keep your mind pure. Don't tell that joke. Don't laugh at that man. Don't turn away when they say something. But go at it. I had this realization just a couple of days ago. Friends of ours... We're advocating for women in sports in a kind of weird way. And the weird way was this. I like women's soccer because those are some angry girls and they go after it, unlike some of these other sports. And in my head I went, why would you want an angry daughter? Like, Why would that be good? This isn't good. Like, If you think that a women's sport is really good because they're super aggressive on the field, that's not good. But what did I say in that moment? What did I do? Did I walk in the light? Nope. No, 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 no. This is what I did. (laughs) That's what I did. In the face of an easy swing to go, you know, I don't think I would want my daughter to be angry. Like as a good thing. That was, that's an easy way to address it. I don't even have to go, I don't think I'd let my daughter play that sport. I usually just go, I don't think I'd want my daughter to be angry. And I didn't take it. That's one instance, one instance, one slight conversation. And you may think, boy, I would have never done that. Don't deceive yourselves, friends. Just don't deceive yourselves. I'm not telling you this so that you can feel better about your own sins. I'm telling you this to know that this sort of thing is common amongst the people of God. And that the reason we talk about things like the flood with Christians is to remind you. Remind you. Sin is real. It wants to kill you. Christ is better and will save you. That's the gospel. That's why we come. Let me pray and then we're going to take communion. Father, we are very grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the good news of your gospel. And we are in desperate need of it. Help us to remember the fact that your wrath is real. Help us to taste it and smell it when we read scripture. And Father, keep us from it. 
Help us to confess our sins, to run to your Son, to be found in him, to believe in him and hope in him. We pray this in his good name. Amen. So then, this morning, the thing that we need to do as we come to the table is to examine ourselves, for instance. This is 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Will be guilty concerning the body and blood. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Discern the body, judge properly, know yourself. All the stuff I was just talking about. The confession of sin we do in the middle of the service is to get you to remember your sins and to confess them to God so that you will be in a position to take the Lord's Supper properly. If you do not think, I have sinned, don't take the Supper. The Supper is not for the righteous. Not for the perfect. The supper is for sinners who are trusting in the body and blood of Jesus to save them. And if that is not you, don't take it. Because the flip side is this if you take the body and blood unworthily, without examination, without honesty, without actually acknowledging the fact that you have done things that deserve death, he will kill you. Maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, but in the end, his wrath will come for you. And it will be twice as furious if you take his body and blood in an unworthy manner. You will store up even more of his wrath by continuously taking the supper. There's good news. It's really good news. Confess your sins. That's what you do to eat in a worthy manner. Not to say I don't have anything to confess, but to think, oh man, I have so many things to confess. And then just ask God, forgive me. And then, then, come to the table and eat. Freely take of the grace of God given for you in the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the Supper. It's the good news of the Gospel. And so this table is not set for those outside of Christ. It's set for the church. Those who are members of the church. 
who believe in the God of the gospel. It's not for those outside. It's not for those who haven't confessed. It's not for those who haven't been baptized. It's for those who have been baptized. Who are believing in the Son of God for their hope and salvation and for nobody else. It is, it is an invitation only event. And the invitation is believe in the Son of God. That's what this is. So then we take, now that we've thought about what the flood is, what the mercy of God is, remember that's what happened. The flood of God's wrath was poured out on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. You, you participate in that by taking this. In His body, in His blood, remembering that He died under the full weight of the wrath of God for all eternity poured out on the Son. And that because of that, you have life and life abundant. So when you take and you confess and you're taking, believing with faith, be refreshed that you, not like Noah on the ark, you have a much better Savior than the ark. You have an unsinkable Savior, an absolute, totally impossible to defeat Savior. That you won't worry if you wake up and the ship is creaking. Because it won't creak. He doesn't sway in the waves. He is the anchor for all things. That's Christ our Savior. Once you've been done, I'm going to pray as you come. Father, we are very grateful for the privilege and the honor of taking supper together. And Father, we ask that you would help us examine ourselves, know ourselves, and give us the hope of eternal life and attainment. Give us the grace that is given to us in the Son. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. I forgot to get a loaf of bread just so you know, so it's going to be a little less symbolic even though I talked about it in Sunday school this morning. On the night when we were betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and take it together.
Father, we thank you for the broken body of your Son. And we thank you for the shed blood of your Son. We pray that you take us from you. You bless us and take and receive. In Jesus' good name. There's wine in the outer ring, juice in the inner ring, and then grab a cup and we'll take it down. Father, we are very thankful for your Son, Jesus. And it is in his name, by his grace, by, your bl- by his blood, that we are saved and have hope. We pray, Father, that you give us faith this week. That we would know that you are in charge of all things. And that you have seen fit to give grace to those whom are your sheep. And we pray, Father, that we be found among the flock. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number 347, and can it be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Die he for me who caused his pain. death pursued amazing love how can it be how my God should die for me amazing love how can it be that thou my God should die for me he his father's throne above so free so infinite is life emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race mercy all immense and Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long 
my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light till I of my sword was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Go in peace this week.